0: The Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash bones and bobbins.
1: Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude And entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group.
2: Indeed.
0: Which is very fun. It is very fun.
1: In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, You'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet, where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins Podcast. Uh, hello, Morbid Makers. <laughs> we are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed opaquely odd merrily morbid marvelously misanthropic hosts
0: and this is bones and Babbins, season two episode 22 certain Ooh, lucky de- right certain death and the final makeover
1: dun 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 <laughs> yeah I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and The Very Serious Crafts Podcast and I go by she and her.
0: I'm Natalie from Uberdork Designs, an official true crime creative, and my pronouns are she, her.
1: Yay! Yay! So how's it going? It's going!
0: It's going, um, ramping up with the holiday stuff, which means getting busy um yeah you've been doing a lot yeah i have been uh the so (laughs) remember
1: the bones guy
0: remember that guy
1: the guy that you were fighting with yeah um, a lot
0: and during that fight there was another group uh called death science and like they teamed up on a video And I was like dude And they were already one of those where you couldn't tell Like they, they bordered They bordered on possibly Legit but possibly really skeedy. Like it was really hard to tell Yeah So um And I called them out on it and they did not Handle it right or well at all So I completely wrote them up Well it turns out these motherfuckers
1: Oh boy Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, oh. Like, I'm so mad. So they just charged up to $500 a seat for people to witness a live autopsy on the body of a 98-year-old who passed away from COVID whose widow had zero idea that was being done. Oh, that's
1: not fine.
0: She donated his body to science and then found out about this bullshit on the news. I'm like, I. oh, no, so upset. Like, it's so disrespectful. I'm like, are you not? It, it feels like we possibly have the same issue now within the death community as exists within the true crime community of people trying to profit off of it without having good intent and respect
1: yeah people just jumping in because it's a thing right
0: and it's like I it sickens me like I just
1: and sometimes it's just that people are dumb and right like they might truly think not infrequently I will be listening to a podcast and be like your brain simply has not done all the calculations And, um, that, I feel like that can make things look or sound way sketchier than they are. Yeah. And I think that happens quite a bit, especially in, like, the death studies and true crime communities.
0: Here's my thing. If somebody says, hi, this is not a respectful practice. So if I tell them, because I was like, hey, you know, I'm surprised you, pa- you know, paired up with him. Do you know that this is not what he's doing is not respectful? It's not about the war, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they were like, whatever. Like, I mean, mm. and then, oh, God, they said something ridiculously stupid in response. And I'm like, that's not even the same thing. Um, so if people came to you and said, hey, you made the decision to work with this person who is not being respectful to these remains. And then you turn around and think you're in Victorian England.
1: Yeah. I mean, remains are a really specific thing because there are lots of ways that you can deliver other types of information that may or may not rub someone the wrong way. But being respectful to bodies is a very specific, like, There are gray areas, as there are gray areas everywhere, but these are pretty straightforward faux pas, right? And Hmm. and the person had COVID. I mean, like, (laughs) there, there's a few. Oh, the person who died. Yes. Oh. Yeah. He
0: was a nine-year-old, eight-year-old man that passed away from COVID.
1: So I mean,
0: it's. Yeah, there and it just this happened almost a month ago, but the story just broke within the last few days. Um, yeah. So that just pissed me off a lot because it just, you know, especially like we we do our due diligence on things that we research to the best of our abilities. Like we don't. Yes, these are topics. We
1: do. We don't go as in depth as we could on any given subject because, well, we all know how long it would take me to prepare for a show <laughs> if we did that. Um, right, but,
0: but we're also super upfront about where our parameters are and, and, and yeah. say, this is where you could go deeper or this is where, you know what I mean? Like we. Yeah. We put in the work and to we try
1: to do right by our subject matter
0: right 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 right
1: and sometimes we fail yeah but we do intend to do right by them that is and also what we're trying to do
0: if we fail you can tell us we fail and we go oh my gosh we are so sorry and oh
1: shit let's talk about this
0: right we we don't yeah poo poo it we own up to it and we you know learn from it grow from it you know
1: yeah and i mean i get you're like one's first reaction being mm-hmm. defensive everybody's first reaction right is defensive even if the next thing you do is take a deep breath and be like no wait i'm gonna learn from this like this is information that i needed i am wrong everyone still has that initial i'm gonna fight with you about it feeling right but you know better than right. to go with that
0: Especially if you are making a living off of teaching, allegedly teaching people and being edged. Ed-
1: t- mm. <laughs> I, uh, I found what I think uh, is a, a s- maybe similarly sketchy repository of knowledge mm-hmm. while researching this. That um, was called Teach Me Surgery. <laughs> And I want to be clear that I only skimmed the thing I was looking at. So, and elected to not go with it because
2: you did not uh, want to teach That sounds surgeon. sketchy.
1: <laughs> but, um, I mean, it may well have been like a medical school study guide site. Like, I, yeah. it could very well have been that. I had, but... uh, I think I linked
0: to one that's. Similar in in, uh, I accidentally ended up doing reading all the coursework for three hours of continuing education through a funeral director <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> like all right, well, I had three C's now. well,
1: Just, you know. I have told you that um, the only part of. Uh, mortuary school that the one that I was looking at is needing to come to New York City for a two-week embalming course. So you have studied up already. I'm you're, you're ready. ready to hit I'm the ground running. So how oh are you good. doing? <laughs> uh, um, I, I am not stirring up drama on the internet yeah. except for maybe having people react at me being a, a snob um, which, Eh. I I I am sometimes. I've but never thought of you as I can be pedantic. Mm. Um and yeah, it, I have uh I am aware that my personal faults include looking down upon other people who have not thought things through as much as I have.
2: Um,
1: But also, I know that there are people who know way, 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 way more about every single subject than I do and whose brains are vastly more interesting. And, you know, I, I live in that weird between place. It's fine. Um but if you're wondering why i'm babbling about this bullshit it is (laughs) it is because today i got my covid booster and my flu shot yay! and i'm allergic to both of them and i mean i knew that going in this this was not a surprise but the previous two uh covid shots were rife with side effects and one of the more long-lasting ones was a fever that i just gave up on at some point (laughs) i just stopped taking my temp because it was still like 101 more than a week afterwards and it was what it was i didn't have covid so um but yeah, and and my normal temp is like 70 or 97.3. That or 97.2. That's
0: me. That's me. Mine is mm-hmm. the same way. And, and people are like that's not right and I'm like that it is. I'm like it yeah, <laughs> is.
1: It actually is significantly more common because world wars are when the 98.6 Um, when that data was gathered it was from the army and metabolisms and lifestyles have changed significantly and bodies run at lower temperatures now generally speaking so that is a deeply outdated number wow i did not mean to go on (laughs) that particular trip so there we are yeah anyway so i have a fever (laughs) (laughs) So please, please forgive me for um, being either a pedantic asshole, which I clearly am being today, and or having no idea what I'm talking about, which will really play well together. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: going to be fun. Oh my
1: goodness. Uh, yeah. So that that is, that a- is where I'm at yeah yay for science and also Mr. Big Stuff is yes. off of restrictions today so he can jump yay. now hey, I can't remember true? it wasn't the Patreon one that I talked about it him? was
0: the Patreon because the last main episode uh, was, was,
1: was the office, day right? that and all I... that nonsense was happening uh, Yes, with you and your glorious offspring. Um, anyway, long story short, for those of you not in the Patreon, um, Mr. Big Stuff had emergency surgery two weeks ago and is recovering well. And so that's good. i That's very good. Very pleased with how that is working out. Oh no, I don't make sense. (laughs) Uh. Yeah. You do.
0: So before we dive in, I think we would like to take a quick break to thank all of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on Patreon and give a totally normal and not at all creepy welcome again because we're together to our newest members, Melanie Sint and Amelia. My Smith. Smith, 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 Smith. I still don't know which one is right, but I still appreciate the absolute mess out of you, Amelia, and once again apologize for any butchering that I am doing to your last name. <laughs>
1: uh, yes, we will just hyphenate it, perhaps. Mod <laughs> Smith. Um, you can get back to us on that one. Yep. Just let us. Know. Uh, feel free to correct us. Absolutely. Spectacularly in the Facebook group. Um, But you should also know that you're the best. The best. And we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. Absolutely.
0: And if you want in on this fun, not only are you going to get some surprises that we've been working on, still working on them, uh, but you also (laughs) get...
1: Okay. We've been working on them for a long time. They're <laughs> works
0: in progress. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll also get a huge backlog of Patreon only episodes, including That's next true week, where we talk bat omens and very good boys.
1: It's true. Tits. There are creatures involved.
0: Yes. Creatures. And you get to hear a little more of, I don't know, our cats. <laughs> And you've lines. already
1: heard plenty of <laughs> yes. my cats
0: i think but you get a little more life stuff yeah unlike this episode we're gonna talk
1: a whole lot of death stuff true that is that is correct uh speaking of which yeah. should should we talk about death stuff i think we should okay. that's what they're here for it it, it is it is what they're here for which is why we love them them being you you audience we love you we really do yeah uh would you like me to start or would you like to start i think yours comes first
0: mine comes next so but if you want me to start (laughs) i could I'm, i'm open i'm open to the thing
1: oh i'm ready Ready to take on You're ready to take the task on. of being not quite dead yet. Not quite dead yet. Not quite dead yet, in the immortal words of Monty Python. <laughs> um, yep, yeah. so... For a very long time... It has not... Er, for a very long time in the past, and until extremely recently it has not been necessarily clear when people were or were not dead like that was just a a thing like people did not it was very very hard to confirm with absolute certainty that someone was dead until they started to decompose oh wow yeah it's it's a thing that seems Um,
0: concerning
1: yeah so I looked into the process of confirming death before you could actually confirm death um, or at least in the way that we think of confirming death now and I learned something that i hadn't really thought of it makes sense but the stethoscope wasn't invented until the mid-1800s oh. so that is how close we are to just simply not having many of the tools that we use to determine whether or not someone has died and even when they did first start to exist they basically looked like ear trumpets or the tools used <laughs> yes. for listening to pregnant, preg- pregnant? pregnant pregnant women's bellies in Call the Midwife. It, it, it You were just sticking your ear up to a door, basically, <laughs> with, a, with a glass. With a glass. And, and hoping you heard a heartbeat. Um, so before that... And frankly, even during that, if you happen to be suffering from an illness or injury that might leave only the faintest of heartbeats, in the world before heart monitors with alarms, breathing machines, and brainwave detection, it was sometimes shockingly easy for a doctor to accidentally pronounce you dead. Oof. Yeah. Yeah oh <laughs> that's some yeah. nightmare fuel man <laughs> right so if you had an illness that say made your breathing very shallow or very slow or if you drowned or if you were exposed to certain types of poisons or sedatives like good fucking luck with that oh because yeah a lot of
0: narcotics you- which ran rampant back then lowered yeah, your well, so breathing
1: cocaine. and your so, heart Oh,
2: gosh.
1: I mean, you know, equal and opposite <laughs> effects, really. But, yeah, so, understandably, people thought this was terrifying. And so they came up with equally terrifying ways to make sure that dead people were really actually truly dead (laughs) yeah um this is also related to something that we've talked about before which is like the whole idea of the safety coffin yeah and all of that so that is sort of born out of not really being (laughs) able to confirm that someone was dead so For many of the methods that would be used, if you were unlucky enough to not be dead when they were experienced, um, they would be a really spectacularly shitty way to rouse you back into consciousness. <laughs> So the first one, and um, I found this list on the website History Collection, but it's also just sort of things that I knew off the top of my head from reading creepy-ass books. (laughs) Um, Oh, and some of it came from the book Stiff by Mary Roach. Ooh, that's such
0: a good book. It is such a good book. she's a very good writer
1: i like her stuff yes she's a really good writer um go read that friends i mean not at this exact moment but you know eventually so it started off kind of tame with smelling salts because even the romans knew that ammonia could, like, give you a swift kick in the ass. Yeah. And bring you back to consciousness if you happened to faint. And that's still used today. Like, it is it is still a thing because you would have small closed containers where ammonia producing um, salts, I believe, were in that container and then the ammonia gas would build up so when you opened the lid on that container there would be like a massive amount and by massive I mean at least for you breathing it in um a massive amount of that ammonia gas having built up so you'd get like a swift dose of it um yeah Ammonium carbonate is what, generally speaking, was releasing Mm -mm. the ammonia. At least back in the day, um, there there are many compounds that can actually produce ammonia. But I'm allergic to ammonia. Are you? Yeah, it's not pleasant if I'm
0: exposed to large. Like I can't clean with super ammonia-intensive products, it'll pass out.
1: (laughs) Well, that's the opposite effect. Yeah. That it's supposed to have. I
0: found out uh, in in a science class in high school. (laughs) The hard way.
1: Yeah. I found out a similarly hard way that the sight of blood in a non-emergency situation makes me hit the floor Ooh, yeah definitely got out of that dissection <laughs> or no no it was blood typing that's why i do not know what my blood type is for sure and i have a blood typing kit behind me and i'm gonna conquer that fear so you can do it yes anyway i personally own smelling salts um that are combined with different medicinal herbs to evoke different kinds of things. They aren't. Uh, they aren't necessarily trying to
0: punch you in the face.
1: Pu- yeah, they aren't <laughs> trying to punch me in the face. Thank you. Um, so yeah, smelling salts. They were probably the least offensive way that someone might be roused from a swoon so um oh that's interesting i forgot that i looked up why it works (laughs) 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 and then i'm surprised that i did um great so apparently when the body becomes aware that ammonia exists, the uh, because the mucous membranes become irritated pretty immediately, it triggers rapid inhalation. And oh. so when you breathe in very quickly, um, the... Well, it just speeds you up. Um, the slowing of respiration and heart rate are things that accompany fainting. And this swift burst of ammonia does, like, causes your body to react in that way without you having to do anything about it. Uh-huh. Your, uh, okay. What is it? Auto- auto- automatic nerve? No, no. Autonomic nervous system? Nope. Mm, well not gonna come up with that word <laughs> anyway the uh, part of your nervous system that you don't have to do anything about like the thing that lets you breathe and makes your heart beat. that anyway wow <laughs> um so smelling salt's were good and relatively harmless if you had just passed out or were unconscious for some reason. But if you had, like, a severe concussion or if you were in a coma, that wouldn't really help. Like, you have to be within reasonable approximation to waking up anyway yeah yep. um another way that you could check a corpse to see if it was indeed a corpse would be holding its fingers over a candle to look for blood oh I- yep um and this was before checking pulses was a normal thing but people were aware of circulation generally okay and so holding the fingers over the candle would also would show whether the blood was circulating or pooling which if it's pooling you got a dead body um but it would also have the added bonus of it would burn you so if you were gonna wake up that would probably help yeah yeah um In the 18th century, you could stick a thermometer in a corpse's stomach. Um, Oh, what? There is a tool called the thanatometer, which literally means death measurer. Okay. Yep. Um, Yeah, it's...
0: Does it go into belly button? Like,
2: how do.
1: I think that it's inserted through the mouth. Oh. And down into the stomach? Okay. I do not believe you were jamming it into a belly button. I, I feel like that would not help you very much
0: i think shoving something down the nasal or oral canal would probably
1: wake somebody yeah. up too <laughs> and the reason that this worked is because there would be situations in which like bodies might be hypothermic or oh, yeah where like hands, fingers, legs, whatever might have either been injured to the point of not having circulation or you may have gotten too cold and your blood retreated to your core. Um, And so doing that, you are able to see if the vital organs themselves were also cold or cooling when you could not necessarily tell by the physical outer body whether or not someone was or was not producing body heat. Hmm. So that's kind of cool. That is. Also kind of gross, but... (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. Um, So one of the things that would happen, as we've previously discussed, is... Fitting coffins with emergency mechanisms. um, That wouldn't really help you determine whether or not someone was dead. But it would make you feel a bit less concerned that you had buried someone alive. Very true. Yeah. Um, Another option would be inserting something called a heart flag and i don't think that this was used very frequently but it is attributed not shockingly at all to the germans and (laughs) it involved jamming a long needle with a flag on one end into the heart's of the recently deceased
0: oh my goodness okay but so if they're not dead you want to kill them
1: <laughs> okay. a... it, yeah um, apparently the flag was supposed to unfurl and wave if the heart was still beating
0: is this where a red flag comes from
1: <laughs> it, it should be Because
0: um, that's a red flag
1: it it is really a red flag but it 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 doesn't it doesn't make any sense no Um, no
0: it does not
1: like that is that is not how flags or hearts work um there's
0: there's nothing about that that seems like a good idea to be honest
1: yeah And apparently there is an actual documented case of it being used. And uh, on a woman whose parents thought she was about to be buried alive. And the physician did, in fact, place the flag. And it did not, in fact, unfurl and wave. And so they used it as proof that she was dead. And then they were like, oh shit, that doctor just murdered our daughter with the flag. Right? Because
0: I would certainly be like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the next thing you could do is just wait for the body to rot. That is probably the simplest and most effective test. If you've got decomp You've got a body.
0: And it's not like... It doesn't take that... Given normal circumstances, it doesn't take long for decom to set in. Obviously, if you're, like, outside in the tundra, like, shit slows down and everything. But, I mean, if you're just, you know... It wouldn't take long for them to...
1: Yeah. <sighs> the next one's kind of cool. It's very... It feels as though you have probably wandered into a Sherlock Holmes book and, you know, just sort of camped out there for a little while. So the same doctor, um, his last name was um, Icard, who stabbed the woman in the chest with the heart flag. (laughs) also devised a system in which he wrote, I am really dead on a piece of paper in invisible ink that was made of acetate of lead. And then he would place the paper by the deceased nose because one of the gases produced by decomposition is sulfur dioxide. And so when acetate of lead is exposed to sulfur dioxide, it causes the acetate to discolor and become visible. And that would, therefore, prove death. I think that's my favorite one. Yeah, it's real fucking cool, but unfortunately it's not very reliable. <sighs> Because living humans, especially those with dental issues, also can exhale sulfur dioxide. Because, you know, there's active decay going on. And this was a time period when that wouldn't be so abnormal. And, yeah. And not all corpses do reliably produce through the nasal passages, the amount of sulfur dioxide that would be needed for the test to work. But, um, apparently an English doctor attempted to confirm that this would work and found that only one out of every six corpses triggered the message. Aww. Alas. But... How fucking cool is that?
0: It's very fucking cool. That gets an A for effort. That gets an absolute A for effort.
1: Yeah. uh, French physician Icard. A plus, man. Yeah. That is quite something. Almost makes us forgive you for (laughs) stabbing Yeah. Yeah, Icard seemed to be really at the forefront of weird shit. What told you a thing was dead. So the next one is sticking the corpse's finger in your ear. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um <laughs> apparently it was argued that the involuntary muscle movements in a living person's finger would create, like, a vibration and a buzz in the ear of a physician who knew what they were listening for. Um, that seems a lot harder than listening for a heartbeat, but nobody asked for my opinion on this. <laughs>
0: They should. I thought we've established
1: this. Yep. But, of course, this also would devolve into you can listen to a person's fingers to diagnose things. It, (laughs) you know, it became a thing. Um, Another thing you could try is brushing the skin. And a professor named M. Weber... Thought that a corpse should have their skin, its skin, vigorously scrubbed with a brush a few hours after death. And this actually kind of makes sense it does. because if the skin gets irritated, there's an inflammation response. So that person isn't dead. Right. But. If the skin ends up, you know taking on a sort of papery sallow sort of look, they were dead. Um, I I think that this makes significantly more sense than a lot of the other ones, even though it's kind of boring. No um, I agree. There are also variations of this test that involve rubbing people's skin with actual, like, plant matter that would make you have a reaction. So, nettles or poison ivy or, like, something that would cause a response. And it was something that anyone could do and it it was presumably pretty reliable and it was also a possible way like if you have suddenly given someone poison ivy to wake them up because they were real irritated (laughs) about that itch so i think that one it isn't as flashy but it doesn't require great amounts of knowledge. All you need to do is be able to look at someone's skin and see if it reacts.
0: I'd rather wake up with poison ivy than have a flag stabbed into my heart. So, mm. yeah, I'm definitely going
2: with that yeah. one.
1: I mean, that's, that's, I got nothing. That, that is just correct. <laughs> um... Electrical shock. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was also called galvanism. You know, galvanized pipes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Italian scientist Luigi Galvani, at the end of the 18th century, would, you know, inspire a lady named Mary Shelley um when producing muscular movement with the electricity
2: it's alive it's alive
1: yeah and but scientists did realize that they could use this method for testing for muscular reactions and activity and thereby knowing if that muscle was alive yes so
0: i wonder if it accidentally shocked people's hearts back into working
1: they may well have it's there are a lot of things that may have accidentally happened during this time (laughs) (laughs) yes 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 yep so It was, in fact, a really excellent way of proving definitively whether or not someone was dead. But the machinery needed to do that was pretty expensive. Yeah. And then, of course, this method would go on to be used for many things that made significantly less sense or were not applied in a way that would actually help. Um, So if you didn't have any galvanism treatments available, (laughs) you might try yanking the tongue and nipples. Okay. (laughs) That's just a Saturday night. (laughs) Right. Um, Apparently, Dr. J.V. Laborde wrote an entire masterpiece, perhaps, on resuscitating dead people by yanking on their tongues. Um, which actually could be useful in some ways if you needed to, say, clear an airway. True, um, um, true. But it probably, I mean, other than, like, bothering you, if you were alive and conscious enough to know what was happening, um, it probably didn't do much beyond that. But it probably was accidentally useful for clearing Airways of choking people but he was so in to this whole pulling tongue thing that he created a device that would do it and um oh, wow. apparently he thought that if uh, a corpse did not revive after the tongue was pulled for three hours, it was truly dead. Three hours? Right. That's so...
0: That, that's excessive.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's
0: a lot of
2: tongue pulling.
1: <laughs> yeah. And if you happen to be a fan of nipple clamps, anyone out there? <laughs> Those were invented... By someone trying to figure out whether or not bodies were dead. And clawed clamps on the nipples that would be uh, yanked on repeatedly was another way to Mm. decide whether or not someone was dead because... It would probably hurt enough to wake you up. Yeah,
0: that that would definitely... uh would get you up.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it didn't really do the thing. But, you know, I don't kink shame. Yeah, no. <laughs> Burning the skin is yet another. Oof. And I... Scalding water was... Mm. Involved or actually burning the tip of someone's nose or sticking a red hot device in places that would be delicate. Um, Ouch. Yeah. So, basically, just hurting someone as much as possible in order to shock them out of their stupor. Um, they also were looking for signs of blistering, but, um, well, corpses do that. Yeah. Because... Water yeah and gases. so that does not seem to be a thing, but now we get to the fun <laughs> uh, blowing smoke up someone's ass really that's a
0: thing yeah and
1: <laughs> that oh, is I, I assume that that's where the phrase came from I'm guessing um so nicotine is a stimulant. And uh, smoke enemas were considered a valid medical treatment um, specifically for like people with asthma, which is kind of hilarious. That, that but is. it does make sense because anyone who has ever bought over-the-counter asthma medication knows that ephedra, yep. a stimulant, Is a bronchial dilator. So. It does not. Seem to be that. Strange. But. I mean.
0: Everything gets a little bit more weird when the butt gets involved. I'm just saying. There's
1: a lot of mucus membrane there.
0: Like I get it. But yeah I mean. Once you involve a butt. Things get weird.
1: So. This was used as a treatment for drowning and because apparently tobacco smoke enemas were thought to warm up the body of a victim while stimulating the instinct to breathe. Now, I don't feel like that is how that works, but okay, whatever
0: i was gonna say like i don't know that that yeah
1: i yeah I have questions I have, to have questions that's all <laughs> and this was also we're doing butt stuff at a time when cholera was extremely present and could be passed mouth to mouth Mm. So, it makes some sense why you would do that. Um, but, I don't know. It, it, it's a bad idea. Um, and I guess, actually that doesn't... Doing butt stuff would be worse, given how cholera works. So, I guess, um, butt respiration... that's right that that is a thing um would actually be more dangerous and would be more likely to infect a medical provider with cholera so don't do that um but but billows were eventually added so you no longer needed to manually blow smoke up someone's ass (laughs) and that's right and this was a a safety protocol um
0: i mean good on them
1: yeah so it was thought to be a mortality test because it's A pretty significant stimulant And that's a pretty big mucous membrane And so
0: I don't know that I would ever want to wake up With a billows in my asshole Like I don't Yeah I mean it's better than being dead
1: But Well I mean it also didn't work Or at least it didn't work In so far as finding out If someone was dead or not (laughs) Um but if you did not want to do butt stuff, you could cut off somebody's finger. That'll wake them up. I,
0: yeah, that'll.
1: Yep. Um, this was sort of a really intense method that would be used to wake someone up from a coma, maybe. If that would happen, but also you were probably using a dirty razor and you were probably <laughs> providing the patient with a significant bacterial infection.
0: But then they come to but then die of gangrene.
1: Yeah, and the the thing about it is that this actually might have been a decent test because you know, bodies don't usually bleed. Right. Um, unless the heart is pumping. That but is that is that is not where they were going with this. Yeah. No, 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 no. Um, foot torture <laughs> is the final area that I yeah. that I will probably cover. Um, cutting people's feet with razors. Oh, yeah. Or uh, um, take a deep breath. Uh shoving needles oh, under God. nail beds. <gasps> and oh, no other related I mean, get as creative as you want. That it, it was really a no-holds barred sort of thing. Um That would be, like, the be-all, end-all way of making sure that someone was actually dead. Because if you're doing something that hurts that badly, it was thought that, of course, if the person were alive, they would be like, nope. Yeah. So, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily help you determine death i don't think but they thought it did oh, so God. yeah and then there were some very confusing things <laughs> to people of this time period like lazarus syndrome and that is like lazarus from the bible okay um, i was guessing and it's also known as, now, as auto-resuscitation after failed cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Okay. Um, so, like, if someone gave you CPR and that shit didn't work, and then they, you know, pronounce you dead and go on about the business, and all of a sudden you go, <gasps> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, it is, it's the spontaneous return of a normal heartbeat after failed attempts to resuscitate someone. And it is very infrequent, but it has been noted in actual medical literature at least 38 times since
0: 1982.
1: Okay. Yep. So... I don't think it's going to help you be raised from the dead after like four days, um, as our buddy Lazarus, but (laughs) you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Indeed. Yeah. So there is a very cool article on The Lancet that talks about the different medical definitions of life and death. And, like, what that meant, it cost $49 to purchase that one article. I did not purchase it. (laughs) So, I only got to see the beginnings of it, but um, basically, it went from the heart-stopping or the blood not circulating, or breath stopping. Like that, the definition kept moving, mm-hmm. and it still continues to move until now, which the general standard is brain death. Okay. Um, and it, then it becomes really 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 hard after you get no brain activity yeah because it does happen that people recover but it almost never happens yeah like it's i don't even know how many times it has happened but a handful um less than 38 i'm guessing I would think so. And so there you get into some really fraught both political and religious definitions. Yeah. Even when you're talking about the medical definition of death. It becomes, like, you would think that it would be pretty black or white, that there wouldn't be any gray area. You either are dead or you're not. Mm -hmm. But... You know, what What if you have neurons that are still firing even though nothing else is working? Like, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of nonsense that that comes together to create life and all of that also goes away by steps to decrease life. And sometimes you get to the point where... Um If someone is removed from life support, not generally someone who's been on it for a very long time, but someone who is maybe a younger person who has had an accident, mm-hmm. um, if they are showing no signs of brain activity, but the rest of their body's working great, um, they can be a a, a living, Cadaver. Yeah. And they that is one of the better ways for organ donation to happen. Mm-hmm. If you have a fully functioning, healthy body with nobody there. Yeah. So it, it gets really, really complicated. Um very, very blurry. I think right now as we know it, if a doctor were called in to pronounce someone, it would generally be a test of the heartbeat, the respiration, and electrical activity in the brain or other organs. And if there isn't any of that, then they're certainly dead so it 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 gets very very complicated um definitely I have, not
0: a fun call to make
1: no i have a slightly less doom and gloom way to wrap this up though okay i'm gonna tell you the top 10 ways to die in victorian england <laughs> <laughs> um according to the top ten causes of death recorded in the Leeds General Cemetery burial records. So this is specific, but it is actually a a reasonably large burial register with... 97,000 entries so it's that's okay yeah it's pretty solid um so these are the top 10 starting at the most common and going to the least common the first one unknown <laughs> the next was unsurprisingly but upsettingly stillborn oh the next is bronchitis which frankly is also what's going on largely right now um consumption followed that up
0: i thought that would have been up at the top
1: yeah well i think that most that often tuberculosis moves slowly yeah. And, um, like, bronchitis, especially if it were bacterial, uh, moves I a didn't... little faster. I, I'm not really sure. Um, convulsions were the next oh, cause okay. of death. Um, I mean, there wasn't anything you could do for people who had seizures. That's true. And, like, no matter what they were from, whether they were from, like, a head injury or epilepsy or Any number of things that can cause seizures. I mean, vitamin deficiencies, electrolyte imbalances, all of the things. There's water Um, seizures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's that's right up there. Pneumonia is next. Mm -hmm. Inflammation, broadly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Is after that. Diarrhea. No. Is next. Well... (laughs)
2: yo cholera
1: sup um dropsy is
0: it a stroke right
1: you know what I don't remember actually we're gonna look it up dropsy (laughs) well apparently a lot of people have wondered (laughs) oh it's like edema Oh, oh, okay. Um. So it's like the swelling of soft tissues due to accumulation of excess water. So it was probably related to heart conditions. Ah, okay. Like congestive heart failure or something. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, and one more natural decay. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay yeah
1: so there we are uh those are the ways in which you are most likely to die if you were a victorian in leeds i think, I think
0: diarrhea would be the worst
1: oh my god yes Ugh. anyway so that that is that is that I rambled a lot. Sorry. You did not.
0: You did not. So, what happens after you actually are considered dead? Well. <laughs> What's the next step to do with the body? Today, I'm going to talk about modern embalming. Ooh. And I guess it makes sense to kind of start at, you know, what the heck is embalming. Mm-hmm. So, the term comes from the late 14th century embalming to apply balm or ointment to embalm a corpse. From Old French embalmure, which is preserve a corpse with spices. And the Middle English also had a specific sense of aromatic preparation for embalming dead body. So, I mean, that makes sense. Right with or without spices, the goal is the treatment of a dead body so to sterilize it and protect it from decay.
1: Mm-hmm. Also go team ancient Egypt. right? as my
0: favorite you know I love mm-hmm. me some, some, some ancient Egyptians. Um, so uh, for practical as well as theological reasons, like a well-preserved body has long been like a pretty chief mortuary concern. Mm-hmm. Um it's also another great example of the marriage of art and science. In fact, I love that it's also it's also referred to as restorative arts. Uh mm-hmm. So this this is a topic that I could happily cover like all of the things on mm-hmm. uh but it is so broad and so deep. So today I'm just gonna focus specifically on modern embalming, mostly on the practical versus the theological. So mm-hmm. And by modern, I'm talking injecting into the arterial network.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So while bombing embalming by arterial inje- or arterial injection, as a modern mortuary practice is thought to begin in England around the 18th century, Mm -hmm. the technique itself had actually been developed in the first half of the 17th century by the noted England physiologist, William Harvey in experiments leading to, uh, his discovery of the circulation of blood. He would inject colored solutions into the arterios or the arteries Mm -hmm. of cadavers, pretty much, to see how all of that was connected. Uh, Later on, the Dutch and German scientists, Frederick Roosch and Gabriel Clotteris, are believed to have used similar arterial injection techniques to prevent cadavers from decomposing. But it is the Scottish anatomist, William Hunter that is credited with being the first to fully report on arterial and cavity embalming as a way to preserve bodies for burial. Mm-hmm. He wrote a widely read report on the appropriate methods for arterial and cavity embalming in order to preserve bodies for burial. And, uh, his discovery of this attracted wide attention in 1775 after his uh, younger brother John embalmed the wife of one of his most, or more notorious clients, dentist Martin Van Butchel. Hmm. Uh, When Martin's wife died on the 14th of January in 1775, he had her embalmed as an attraction to draw more customers. What the fuck?
2: (laughs) Exactly. I'm like,
0: I don't know how a dead body in a window is going to make me want to go there for my teeth.
1: I mean, listen, we both know we would go in.
0: Oh, definitely. But I wouldn't trust that man with my face. <laughs> so Hunter injected the body with preservatives and also color additives that gave a glow to the corpse cheeks. Huh? He replaced her eyes with glass eyes and he dressed her in a finely dress. The body was embedded in a layer of plaster of Paris in a glass-topped coffin. Butchell exhibited the body in the window of his home and many Londoners came to see it. But he also drew quite a bit of criticism for the display. A rumor that is believed to possibly have been started by Butchell himself alleged that his wife's marriage certificate had specified that her husband would only have control over her estate after her death for as long as her body remained above ground. And this was his way of meeting that requirement. Which on oh one boy. hand, shady as shit. On the other hand, I guess respect the playa? Oh. Uh. Uh, uh, not, not, hmm.
1: <laughs> right. He did thing. Thing
0: there's some there's I speaking of red flags. I'm
1: just saying there's a couple. It's questionable.
0: Yeah, very very questionable. So interest in and demand for then embalming grew steadily in the 19th century. At that point, it was primarily for sentimental reasons. People sometimes wished to be buried in far off locations, which became possible with the invention of railways, and mourners wanted a chance to pay their last respects. Beside the displayed body.
1: Um, Which makes sense.
0: Right. Other motives behind embalming were prevention of disease and the wish to prepare funerals and burials, which were becoming more elaborate uh, without undue haste. So trying to create, you know, trying to pull together these big, huge, like day-long celebrations, it it took a while. Uh, After Lord Nelson was killed in the Battle of Trafalgar...
1: Trafalgar.
0: Yeah, that. Uh, his body was preserved. Actually, I
1: don't think that's right. I think it is Trafalgar, and I have only heard it pronounced by someone with an accent that would have swallowed the R.
0: Okay. Well, Lord... I have a
1: friend who did a, an art installation. Oh.
0: oh, that's amazing. Well, after mm-hmm. Lord Nelson uh, did not survive that battle, his body was preserved. Whoops. In brandy and spirits of wine mixed with camphor and myrrh for over two months. Oh. At at the time of his state funeral in 1805, his body was found to still be in excellent condition and completely plastic. Cool. Right. Uh, So embalming kind of spread across England, which then, of course, led to the U.S., And there was a newly emerging group of Undertaker businessmen, note the businessman section of that, that Mm -hmm. pointed out how much better this was than packing a body in ice or laying them on cooling boards, which were concave, like, ice-filled box that fit over the torso and the head for transporting or viewing...
1: Yeah, I think I covered that when we were talking about corpse photography. I do believe you did. So, yeah, if, if you want to know more about that.
0: So, some of the more enterprising of these entrepreneurs exhibited well-preserved cases in the windows of the shops or took them on tour so that persons in rural areas and small towns could see the latest development. As hmm. innovative and, well, I guess creative as that was, it didn't really take on as well as hoped. Many in the public still saw it as like mutilating the body and they resisted it wholeheartedly. In fact, it wasn't Hmm. until the U S civil war that the actual practical benefits would finally begin to be fully embraced. In previous Hmm. wars, the dead were buried where they lay fallen. So battlefields ended up as cemeteries pretty much. Mm. Um, Embalming became more common now For the wish of the families of the fallen soldiers For the remains to be returned home, full local burial right? And lengthy transport from battlefield meant it uh, it had to become common in the U.S. pretty much Uh, The period from about 1861 is sometimes known as the funeral period of embalming as is marked by a separation of the fields of embalming by undertakers and embalming uh, like anatomical wedding for medical and scientific purposes Mm -hmm. Um, Dr. Thomas Holmes received a commission from the Army Medical Corps to embalm the corpses of dead union officers to return to their families military authorities also Mm -hmm. permitted private embalmers to work in military controlled areas
1: and the yeah, wi- I think there are photos of that from the Civil War, aren't there?
0: There are. There are. Um, and the widespread use of the service by soldiers' families and the embalming of such notable dead as President Abraham Lincoln's son, Willie, and later of Lincoln himself, brought about, like, the increased acceptance of the practice and even mm. caused it to become associated with almost, like, patriotic activity. Sure. Interesting side note until the 20th century, embalming fluids often contained arsenic until it was supplanted by like more effective and like less toxic chemicals.
1: Well, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a concern
0: about the possibility of arsenic from embalmed bodies contaminating groundwater supplies and legal concerns. That people suspected of murder by arsenic poisoning might claim in defense that the level of poison in the deceased bodies was the result of post-mortem embalming
1: and not homicide. Not in your hair, lady. Right?
0: Um but, in yeah. 19 or er, sorry, 1867, the German chemist August Wilhelm von Hoffmann discovered formaldehyde. Whoa! Preservative properties were soon noted, and it became a foundation for modern methods of embalming. Early practitioners included a number of vigorous salesmen, including Joseph H. Clark, a road salesman for a coffin company. Impressed hmm. by embalming's possibilities and profits, he persuaded a staff member of a medical college in Cincinnati to institute a brief course in embalming in 1882 thus establishing the basis of mortuary education in the United States. Hmm, Embalming actually remains the only specific skill that is required in the undertaking business. And that, that, that medical college, the Cincinnati college of mortuary science still exists Mm -hmm. and operates a two year degree program. Um, and is pretty much, you know, like the authority on it. Uh, Embalming as practiced In the funeral homes of the western world Uses several steps uh, And variations um, Are very common um, Just like preparation Of anything Uh, So the first thing that an embalmer needs to do Is to verify the identity of the deceased Which is normally done via a wristband or toe tag At this point Embalmers commonly perform Basic tests for signs of death (laughs) Noting Hmm. (laughs) Noting things such as clouded over corneas lividity and rigor mortis although in modern time- oh we
1: weren't doing that yet <laughs>
0: yes, although in modern times people awakening on the preparation table is largely the province of horror and fiction and urban myth um, yeah. unless you're those 38 people that since 1982 uh, <laughs> any clothing hmm. and jewelry on the corpse is then removed inventory and set aside a modest cloth is typically placed over genitals um, following this,
1: Well, that's nice. Yes.
0: Following this, the corpse is washed in disaffecting and disaffecting in germicidal solution. During this process, the embalmer bends, flexes, and massages the arms, hands, fingers, legs, feet, <clears throat> and toes to relieve rigor mortis, which wow. sounds... Yeah. But our favorite mortician, uh, Caitlin <clears throat> Doherty got faux embalmed uh that was her favorite part i did include the video um in the show notes
1: oh i i'm glad that you did and i'm sure that that feels good if you are alive (laughs) right but oh boy that Mm. uh, i i therein lies the point at which i get a little lightheaded
0: uh so the Mm -hmm. i The eyes are closed and kept closed with an eye cap that keeps them shut and in the proper expression. The mouth may be closed via suturing with a needle and ligature, using an adhesive um, wire or a needle injector, which is a specialized device most commonly utilized in North America and unique to mortuary practice. Hmm. Care is taken to make the expression look as relaxed and natural as possible, and ideally a recent photograph of the deceased while still living is used as a template. The process of closing the mouth, eyes, shaving, all of that is collectively known as setting the features. That makes sense. The the typical embalming fluid contains a mixture of formaldehyde, Glutaraldehyde, methanol humectants and wetting agents and other solvents that can be used the formaldehyde content generally ranges from five to 35 percent and the methanol content may range from nine to 56 percent hmm. um uh in the video uh with caitlin the amazing woman who is uh faux so, embalming her explains that like uh, formaldehyde is going to plump you up the most um, they have colorants that can be added now um, she goes into it a bit in terms of like everybody basically gets their, their own cocktail of fluids um, that ranges on uh, basically on the condition of the body so All right. yeah Actual embalming process usually involves four parts. This gonna get potentially graphic.
1: Um, All right. So buckle in.
0: <laughs> this may not be for the weak uh, of heart. Uh, and and the demonstration that she does uh, is pretty amazing, but also like um, a little jarring. Like I was not I. I thought I had the basic understanding, and I do have the basic understanding of embalming, but like the details and stuff behind Uh it. Oh, am I gonna pass out? Um, I'm hoping not. Uh, It does. We shall
1: see, won't we? Oh no! (laughs) I feel bad. Oh, Uh, don't. So, if we do, my goodness, that will be a really hilarious sound effect.
2: (laughs) Oh no!
0: (sighs) Okay, so arterial embalming. Mm-hmm. This involves the injection of embalming chemicals into the blood vessel, uh, usually via the right common carotid artery. Uh, blood and in- interstitial fluids are displaced by this injection, and along with the excess arterial solution are expelled from the right jugular vein and collectively referred to as drainage. How are we doing?
1: Fine. You sure? Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: <clears throat> the embalming solution is injected with a centrifugal pump, and the embalmer then massages the body to break up any circul- ah,
1: there we go.
0: circulatory clots. So basically, to keep it going, a proper distribution.
1: Mm-hmm. This
0: process of raising <laughs> vessels with injection and draining from a solitary location is known as single-point injection. In cases of poor circulation of the arterial solution, additional injection points, commonly the axillary, brachial, or femoral arteries, with the ulnar, radial, and tibial vessels, if necessary, are used. The, <sighs> co- <laughs> the corresponding vein are also commonly raised and used for drainage. Cases with more than one vessel uh, is raised are referred to as multiple point injections with the reference point to the of vessel's range. So like six point or six pointer. Hmm. As a general rule, the more points needed to be raised, though, the greater the difficulty of the case. In some cases. Well, that makes sense. Right. Draining from. the. There's holes in there. Oh, yeah, there is. Uh, in some cases, draining from a different site from injection. So, like injecting arterial fluid into the right common uh, corroded artery and draining from the right femoral vein.
1: Ah, there we go.
0: (laughs) Is referred to as a split injection.
2: You're right. Mm
1: hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's the femoral artery that really does it for me. Oof. Okay.
0: The Mm -hmm. in certain cases, the embalmer may deem it necessary to perform a restricted cervical injection, which involves yeah, in the head of the deceased separately from the rest of the body.
1: Oh, Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, no, not different body parts.
0: Yep, 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 (laughs) yep, yeah. We're not blowing anything up, anything.
1: Uh, I mean, mm. uh,
0: uh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Maybe you are plugging a hole.
0: Uh, this is done in in cases where distension or swelling has a greater chance of occurring,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and in many cases, an embalmer may select to perform what is known as a pre-injection. And a pre-injection is a solution of chemicals that don't contain any like preservatives, but rather chemicals that include that encourage vasodilation mm-hmm. to help disperse things pretty much, um, and allow for. I, better draining. Um mm. okay. On to part two, which is cavity treatment uh and or cavity embalming. How you do that I doing? That I can deal with. Okay, good. Okay. This one it's is it's just at,
1: the vascular system that is an issue okay. for me. Uh,
0: so this refers to the removal of the internal fluids inside of body cavities via the use of an aspirator and a trocar the
1: trocar is one of my favorite words
0: oh it's she so the gal that did caitlin's just got a gold plated like engraved trocar fuck yeah (laughs) it was pretty it's pretty badass so the best way to kind of maybe you don't want to visualize this but to compare this to is kind of like liposuction but instead of sucking fat you're sucking out Fluids. Um, so sure. the embalmer makes a small incision just above the navel. So it's two inches superior and two inches to the right. Pushes the trocar into the abdominal and chest cavities. This first punctures the hollow organs and aspirates their contents. The embalmer then fills the cavities with concentrated chemicals, which are, you know, known as cavity chemicals uh, that contain formaldehyde, etc. Which are then, delivered to the chest cavity via the trocar and inserted through the diaphragm. The incision is either suture closed, uh, commonly using the purse string or end suture methods, or a trocar button is secured in place.
1: A trocar button. Yeah. Wow. So,
0: at, she worked in a fanning type motion, and after you go up, you go down too, because you need to release oh, the yeah. ba- the bladder. Of any urine that's in there. Um, and then you tackle the intestines. Um, uh-huh. So the next one is hyperdermic embalming. Uh, and that's a, that's step three. And that's a supplemental method which refers to the injection of embalming chemicals in the tissue with the hypodermic needle and syringe. Which is generally used uh, as needed on a case-by-case basis.
1: Basically, it's like filler, only post-mortem.
0: Right. That's Botox is what I put. Think of it as Botox. Uh, And then the fourth step is surface embalming, which is another supplemental method, and that uses embalming chemicals to preserve and restore areas directly on the skin surface and other superficial areas, as well as areas of damage from things like, you know, accident, decomposition, cancerous growth, uh, or where you donated skin. So, pretty much restructuring those areas. So embalming times vary greatly depending on a huge huge array of factors. Some are completed in two or three hours. Others can be done even quicker than that and some complicated cases can actually take days. Hmm. So after this is completed they then rewash the body, dry it, moisturize it, uh and then dress it for visitation or funeral services if moisturize desired. it yeah um they put a moisturizing cream on
1: oh at, so <laughs> just exactly what okay <laughs> yep yeah. uh
0: if desired cosmetics are then applied to make the body appear more lifelike um with the uh the modern embalming process there's uh various tints that are put into the fluid to help make the body look like it's not dead and gray that there is well, life in it yeah um yep.
1: so you need that when you don't have blood in there
0: right 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 um so the um the goal so at this point they're trying to make the body appear more lifelike but also to create what is quote a memory picture for the deceased the deceased's friends and families. Now, mm-hmm. while I'm sticking strictly to the practical in this, there are many people and research papers that state there is no benefit for this quote memory picture and that term itself is made up by the funeral industry and we can definitely go down that route um that's not
1: i mean i will say that personally since i um well, i guess right before all of this nonsense happened so two years ago on over thanksgiving my grandmother died mm-hmm. and it was she looked great like they did a really, really good job and I found that to be comforting.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, because she didn't really look like herself at the point at which she died.
2: Yeah. So
1: they they really made her look like we all remembered her. And then super comforting. Th- it was. It was very comforting. It wasn't necessary. I mean, I visited her all along the way and so it wouldn't have been upsetting to me but I feel like it might have been upsetting to some people
0: yeah I mean there's definitely there's always there's always that whole how you would want to be reminded like remembered and
1: yeah well, and I do think that they did it how she would have wanted to be seen
0: and that's important that's yeah and it's very definitely a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to throw it out there because again, I mean like the It whole, isn't
1: necessary, I don't think.
0: The whole embalming process uh, and utilization is controversial, not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just try to think of like, the best way to put it.
1: Um, yes correct
0: (laughs) so uh so yeah uh for babies which breaks my fucking heart
1: oh Um, babies came out of nowhere
0: yeah for babies the embalmer may apply a like cosmetic massage cream like after embalming to provide a natural appearance the massage cream is also used on the face to prevent it from dehydrating um the infant's mouth is often kept slightly open for a more natural expression if possible if you director uses um like a light translucent cosmetic yeah. sometimes um heavier opaque cosmetics are used to hide bruises cuts or discolored area um i've seen they have flat out like wax
1: now um yeah make- there's actually baby specific um makeup because the pore structure is different, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. Yes.
0: Um, Hair gel or baby oil is applied to style short hair while hairspray is applied to style long hair. Powders, especially baby powder, are applied to bodies to eliminate odors and it is also applied to the face to achieve a matte and fresh effect. To prevent oiliness of the corpse.
1: Oiliness of the corpse. I did not know that oil was something that I'm going to still have to worry about when I'm dead. Right? Man. Uh, I've had oily skin for long enough. Come
0: on. So because mortuary cosmetics are not done for the same reason as makeup for living people yes. um i mean it, it is very different it's designed to add depth and dimension to purchase features that lack blood circulation you know warm areas where blood vessels and living people are superficial such as cheeks chins knuckles all subtle reds added to cr- to recreate this effect while browns are added to the palpebrae or eyelids to add depth um especially hmm. important as viewing in a coffin creates an unusual perspective rarely seen in everyday life uh during the viewing pink colored lighting is sometimes used near the body to lend a warmer tone to the deceased complexion hmm. um blemishes and discoloration such as bruises in which the discoloration is not in the circulatory system and cannot be removed by the arterial injection. Occasioned by the last illness, settling of blood, or the embalming process itself, sometimes are also dealt with at this time. Although some embalmers use utilize hypodermic bleaching agents, f- such as phenol-based cauterants, during injection to lighten discoloration and allow. Oh, interesting. There is pretty. I mean, it's. From a science arty standpoint, it is pretty amazing what they can accomplish, especially with, you know, the chemicals. Um, if you can yeah. remove yourself from the fact that they're doing this on a body. Um,
1: it well, is also- I mean, but they aren't doing it on a body without reason. Right, like, right, right, right. The whole point is to make, something beautiful out of something sad yes that is correct
0: um let's see uh, it's also common for the embalmer to perform minor restoration of the deceased appearance with tissue building chemicals and, and a hypodermic syringe hmm. the, uh, the thing that I didn't think of that surprised me when she was doing Caitlin was she said that she oftentimes will inject near the earlobes and the ears because a lot of times uh, loved ones want them to have earrings on.
1: Oh, And I yeah. would not have thought of that. You would need that structure, I guess.
0: Right. I would not have thought of that detail. So hmm. um, the tissue building chemicals, which, you know, are called tissue builders, become solid uh, with the introduction of liquids such as water or interstitial fluid
2: hmm. so
0: commonly the area where the sphenoid and temporal bones meet hmm. I'm
2: just your
0: temples yeah. um uh in the event of trauma or natural depressions on the face or hands tissue ba- builder can be utilized to restore those regions on the face to the expectations of the families I actually watched uh a little national geographic like four minute clip Mm. talking about embalming, but they showed a bunch of students basically reconstructing a face on foam heads with like tissue. Oh yeah. um, Which was,
1: that's cool.
0: Really fun to watch. Um, And the modern procedure of embalming, the bomb is the blood is drained from the veins. We've already covered that. Oh, uh, We've already covered. So formalin is the solution of formaldehyde in water. Formaldehyde is actually um, used in a lot of things, and it's a little frightening. Um,
1: formaldehyde is everywhere. It
0: is. It's in places that you would not think that it sh- should be. uh uh-uh. um, But it is. Yeah. Um, so there are... There are various procedures that diff- differ in chemical structure that are used for preserving bodies for educational purposes mm-hmm. um, and under severe deformation restoration. Um, so there's, you know, for like teaching cadavers for, um, yeah, a variety of reasons. There's, So they'll use a different chemical structure. Uh, In the United States, embalming is a standard practice as a result of the government support that it's received. And it's also mandatory when bodies are being transported by a common carrier. And in many states, usually when there is an interval of more than 48 hours between death and burial. In Europe, however, embalming is rarely practiced. And in many countries, permits are required to actually have embalming done and it, and uh, most it's performed only by medical practitioners and the costs are pretty high
1: um, that's interesting I wonder if that's because um, many of the grave sites are reused after a certain amount of time so you wouldn't want to have preserved bodies chilling in there oh, when it's that's time true. to put them in the charnel house That that is true.
0: So to wrap this up, I just wanted to include a little interesting fact. And as we've covered uh, our buddy Lincoln quite a bit lately, uh, here's an interesting Lincoln fact. Mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln was embalmed after his assassination in 1865. uh, To prevent anyone stealing Lincoln's body, Lincoln's eldest son, Robert, called for Lincoln's exhumation in 1901 to be buried in a concrete vault in the burial room of his tomb in Springfield, Illinois. Hmm. Fearing that his body would have already been stolen in the interim, Lincoln's coffin was opened and his features were still recognizable 36 years after his death.
1: Wow. Those must have been some intense chemicals.
0: Right? Uh, Which, and then it also reminds me of how we covered poor Ava (laughs) Perone. Oh, and,
1: uh oh there and, are so many yeah. mistreated corpses yes just let them go
0: yeah so that is uh
1: don't steal bodies guys right.
0: so that is uh modern embalming 101 which um I handle I think better than I was I was I was not sure I was going to handle, like, the details of it. Mm -hmm. Because the the draining of the body Uh of fluids and then adding more fluids makes me a little queasy.
1: (laughs) But, yeah. Yeah, only the uh, channels by which that happens makes me (laughs) (laughs) queasy. So, so both of us didn't didn't barf and we didn't we pass out. <laughs> and on <Yeah>. that note. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: It brings us to the weekly,
1: weekly nurse worst nurse way to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our, our discordant uh, theme rings clear.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Well, I think we're kind of on the same page. I,
0: I think we kind of are.
1: Yeah, so what's yours?
0: Mine is anything to do with formaldehyde, because I cannot stand the smell of it. Ugh. I I, uh, I once pissed off my biology teacher. I was in, like, AP biology in high school, and um, I brought in not only, like... So, like, the, the scent was so bad, I brought in, like, a, uh, and not an air freshener, but, like, a neutralizer. <laughs> Every time we had to dissect, I would spray the entire room. And he would get so pissed off that, in exchange, he would make sure that everything I fucking dissected was female and pregnant. And I just, yeah, he was an ass. It was bad. Starfish, full of eggs. Just, difficult. wow! Yeah, it was. We battled. We battled. But I received oh, the I just
1: remembered what a starfish smells like. Oh yes. god! Right? god. Just Ew! That, that is a very so specific. To do with I didn't even know I had that sense memory. <laughs> I'm
2: sorry.
1: Wow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Ugh. laughs> yeah, my um. My vegetarian ass was excused (laughs) from all of the things. I still had to pass all of the tests related, but I don't know. I guess my teachers figured that I was good at pretty much everything else academic, so they would just assume (laughs) that I would have been fine at dissecting. But log. Ugh. And yours? Fucking starfish. <laughs> Yuck. See also cow eyes. Uh
0: my favorite was actually the earthworm.
1: That was cool. Because you think like it's a bunch gonna... of hearts and shit.
0: Right. You think it's gonna be all mushy in there and you're not gonna but no. No.
1: It's it's got like structures and yeah. yeah that one I actually did that was the first one and <laughs> yes I I recall
0: I just shared my my air purifier with you.
1: oh god
0: <sighs> so what's your worst
2: way to talk
1: <sighs> um <laughs> premature embalming <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. yes yes
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I have this fear of like being glassy-eyed, but conscious and like sleep paralysis on steroids. Oof. That. Yeah, because that immediately involves the arteries. I don't like. Yeah. 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 So hey. Hmm. Do you
0: want to be spooky internet friends?
1: I you know, honestly, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> wait, we'll, we'll share our air freshener with you. Oh, okay. Or sorry, air neutralizer. <laughs> you can find us at Bones and Bobbins on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, TikTok, all of the social medias. Uh, or you could just visit us at bonesandbobbins.com
1: it's true and don't forget to rate and review this podcast keeping in mind that i have a fever right now um it pleases the internet gremlins and that's how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us bring forth the morbid souls so many <laughs> and so on many. That i note, need them yes
0: we do for a <sighs> reason and on that note let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget.
1: Oh? Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors.
0: <laughs> Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts Follow us on Spotify or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange
2: and creepy content.